Job chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, A great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. May God bless the preaching of his word. I believe that most of us want to be good fathers. When I think of a good father, I'm dating myself, but I think of people like Charles Engels on The Little House of the Prairie, or Ward Cleaver on Leave it to Beaver. A good father is concerned about his children. A good father is concerned about spending time with his children, about providing for his children, about emotionally supporting his children. However, I don't want us just to be good fathers this morning. I want us to be godly fathers. And one might ask, well, what's the difference between a good father and a godly father? Well, a godly father is all that a good father is and should be, but much more. And it is that much more that I want to be concentrating on this morning. So what are the concerns of a godly father? Well, first and foremost, a godly father is concerned with being truly godly. One cannot be a godly father without being godly. Now that seems almost idiotic to say, But it's important to realize that there is a reality to being godly. Being a godly father is more than dropping your kids off for Sunday school and then going out to breakfast. Being a godly father speaks of one's own character before God. Job was a godly father, first and foremost because he was a godly man. And my point is that before we can ever think about being a godly father to our children, we have to begin with being 
personally godly. In verse 1, we have a description of the life and person of Job. Tells us in verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And then we have a description of his character. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. In verse 8, we have a conversation that takes place between God and Satan, in which we discover that Job was totally unique. In verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him in all the earth? Job surpassed all others. He was the world champion, if you will, in being godly. It's important to realize that this is God's assessment of Job. For it tells us in verse 8 that the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him in all the earth? And then he says this, A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. It is one thing when we are well spoken of by men and women, when other people tout our character and our goodness. But it's quite another when God speaks of our character and our goodness. And it is God who is giving us his assessment of the person of Job. And there are four characteristics in Job's life to which God points us. The first is, found in verse 8, that he is referred to as being blameless. Blameless. To be blameless is not to be sinless, but it means to be complete, whole, sound. And so some translations say perfect, meaning that he was not lacking in any area of his life in being truly committed to the Lord, whether it be in his finances and his dealings with others, in his personal relationships, etc. It speaks of a life that's not compartmentalized into secular and sacred, not into that which is common or that which is holy. But the point is that every facet of Job's life was informed and governed by his relationship to God. He had consecrated himself fully. He was seeking to love the Lord his God with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind. It speaks of his entire being. Secondly, Job is described as an upright man in verse 8. To be upright, to, to be morally straight. He was consistent. He was sincere, not a hypocrite. You know, the Pharisees professed themselves to be godly, but were not. They were more concerned about how they were viewed than their actual character before God. Job did not simply want to be viewed as godly or holy. He wanted to be godly and holy. He was sincere. Thirdly, it says in verse 8 that he fears God. That is, he had a reverence for God, a respect for God, a deep-founded faith and trust in God. And then lastly, in verse 8, it says that he turns away from evil. Turns away from evil meaning that he did not take pleasure or delight in evil. He was not drawn to it, but rather repulsed by it. He delighted in and took pleasure in service for God and fulfilling the will of God. He was not only dedicated to, but drawn to the things of God. That's what delighted Job. That's what occupied his thoughts, his ambitions, his goals, his desires. That's how he wanted to spend his time. He was not drawn towards that which is evil, but rather was repulsed by it. It was like kryptonite to Job, and he desired those things that please and honor and glorify God. So Job was a godly individual. Secondly, a godly father is concerned with the spiritual well-being of his children. It is the natural extension of his own love for God, that he wants his children to love God also. And so a godly father has many concerns for his children. You know, a good father has many concerns as well. A good father may want his children to excel academically, or to excel athletically, or to excel musically, or to excel socially, 
Or even better, he may want his children to be well-rounded and be exemplary in all of these areas. But a godly father is concerned first and foremost about his spiritual, about his children's spiritual well-being and their walk before God. We used as our call to worship this morning a very familiar verse coming from 3 John that says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I wonder if that is true of us this morning as fathers. That there is no greater joy that our children are walking the truth. There is nothing that would delight us more than the fact that our, our children not only know the Lord, but are serving him and obediently following him. Is that our greatest hope and desire for our children? Conversely, is it the source of our greatest heartache and sorrow if our children don't know him and if they're not walking with him? Is that what is paramount in our desires for our children, that they walk faithfully with the Lord? In Job chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, we have an account of Job's concerns for his children. It tells us in verse 4 that his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. As we think about these verses, I want us to note some characteristics here. First, Job communicated his spiritual concern to his children. Job would gather his children for prayer and dedicate them to the Lord. Notice verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, now these words, Job would send and consecrate them. The word send is the very same Hebrew word that's found in verse 4, where the brothers send an invitation to their sisters to join them. Verse 4 says his sons used to go and hold a feast to the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So when it tells us that Job was sending for them, he was, he was inviting them to come. He was summoning them into his presence. And he was doing so in order to consecrate them. My point to you this morning is that he could have done this quietly. He could have done this without their even knowing that he was praying for them and that he was offering sacrifices for them, but he did it in their presence. He did it in his presence. Are our children keenly aware of our spiritual concern for them, of our dedicating them to the Lord? It begins with a, a service of dedication when they are infants. And many of us have dedicated our children to the Lord. And one of the questions that's asked in that uh, service of dedication is, when they are old enough, will you teach them the meaning and significance of this dedication? Are we communicating to them? Do they know of our spiritual concern for them? Do we not just pray for them, but do we pray with them in their presence, hearing our prayers, knowing our concern? Do we talk with them concerning what is really important to us? Have they heard from our own lips that the most important concern I have for you is that you're walking with the Lord. There is nothing that would delight me more than your faithful service and love for God. That's my heart. That's my prayer. That's my goal. That's my desire for you. Have they heard that from our lips? Do they understand that it is the hope that they would love and serve 
that is most important to us. What do our children think is our number one concern? What do they think would bring us the greatest pleasure? What do we communicate that we are saddened by or that we are disappointed in them? Do they understand that the greatest concern is for their spiritual well-being and growth? Next, we find out that Job's spiritual concern for his children was a high priority in his life. It tells us in verse 5 that uh, Job would send and consecrate them, and then these words, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings. This was not an afterthought on the part of Job. He did not procrastinate. He made it a priority to be praying for and offering these sacrifices for his children. We need to ask ourselves, if we want to be godly fathers, what things do we place before acts of consecration and prayer for our children? What robs us of the time, the energy? What keeps us from communicating these heartfelt desires to our children? What gets in the way? A godly father is going to be concerned that nothing gets in the way. Nothing usurps. Nothing takes away from the necessity and the importance of praying for and communicating to our children our love for them and the desire that they walk with God. Third, Job's spiritual concern for his children extended to each of his children. Tells us in verse 5, they would rise early in the morning, offer burnt offerings, and now these words, according to the number of them all. That means for each one. Job, unlike so many in the Old Testament, did not have favorites. We all know who the favorite of Jacob was. It was Joseph. He had, Job had no favorites. He did not elevate the boys above the girls. Or it tells us that he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And lastly, I want you to see that he prayed for them, not corporately, but individually. He just didn't lump them together and ask for God's blessing to rest upon them. But it tells us very specifically that he offered offerings according to the number of them all. It means there was an offering for each one. It means there was a prayer for each one. Family devotions are great, and I would encourage you to have them. Not only that you gather together as a family and pray and study God's word, but also individually, that you take each of your children aside from time to time and just pray with them by themselves. Hear of their concerns, understand what are their issues, help them through the difficulties that they face, and invest your time and energy into each one. All of our children are different. There is no one size that fits all in rearing children. We need to know what makes our children tick and how we can best help and encourage them in their walk with the Lord. He had an individual concern for his children. Next, we find out that Job's spiritual concern for his children was heartfelt, for it tells us at the end of verse 5, for Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. It may be. It's a possibility that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job was not content that his children were outwardly walking with the Lord. Job knew nothing against his children. He did not in any sense know that his children were not walking with the Lord in all outward appraisals. They were doing just fine. But Job realized that it was one's heart that was of greatest importance and not 
mere outward conformity to the things of God. Job realized it, for he realized in his own godliness that the heart had to come first. That for Job to be godly, he had to guard his heart. Not just the outward actions, but his innermost thoughts and being. We cannot be content that our children attend church, read their Bible, and have personal devotions. While all of that is good, it doesn't guarantee that their heart's right with God. It doesn't guarantee. It's easy to go through the outward motions. It's easy to present ourselves as true believers or more dedicated than what we are, for we cannot look upon the heart. Only God can, but God does look upon the heart. And we must be concerned with our hearts and their hearts. So Job is concerned for their inner being that they would not have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. We must be concerned with the deepest recesses of our children's hearts. What are their thoughts? What are their struggles? What are their desires? What are they thinking about deep down inside? Sometimes that can be scary to enter in those conversations. But it's so, so important to know where our children are and to be praying for them, not just in their outward actions, not about their clothes, not about their hair, their heart. Where is their heart? Job was concerned about where the heart of his children were. And then Job's spiritual concern for his children was Insistent. Notice at the end of verse 5, it says, Thus did Job continually. Thus did Job continually. This consecration of his children extended not just into a one time event, but it tells us that it was habitual, that it was continual, that it never ceased. I submit to you this consecration didn't begin when they were grown and each had their own home. But this started in their infancy. But it didn't end in their infancy. It continued even when these children are grown and out of the house. They had their own homes. They invited each other over to their houses and they celebrated birthdays together. Our job of parenting does not end once our children are grown and out of the house. Our job does not end once they are adults. Our job does not end once they have their own children. But as long as God gives us breath, we have to be praying for, encouraging, nurturing our children. Certainly that looks different as they grow and as they mature and as they establish their own homes. It looks different, but it continues. It continues. Consistency is so important in being a godly father. Do not run hot and cold. Not for a few days, a few weeks, or even months, or even years. Or it's all too easy to pass through seasons of life when our children experience a different adult life from our parents than we did. I know that my brother, who's nine years older than I, grew up in a home that was far different than the home that I grew up in. Or my dad's priorities changed over the years. I was blessed. I was blessed. My brother 
Oh, my dad knew the Lord. Oh, my dad prayed for my brother, I am sure. His priorities were different. Consistency. Consistency. It's so important. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Thirdly, a godly father is concerned that he is worshiping God and not his children. To a godly father, his children are more important than material possessions could ever be. Though Job was the richest man on the face of the earth, his riches did not take priority in his life over his children. He did not love his riches more than he loved his children. He loved his children more than he loved his riches. We know this from the order of sufferings that Satan brought into the life of Job. Job was about to suffer a great deal because of his commitment to the Lord. Tells us in verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from whence have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. But Satan questions the basis of Job's commitment. He says in verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed his work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. So God allowed Satan to put Job through a ringer to prove that Job's commitment to God, his godliness, if you will, was genuine. Verse 12 and 13, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking, were in the eldest brother's house. There came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And it goes on to talk about all the difficulties that came upon Job. And it highlights and comes to verse 18 where it says, And when he was speaking there, came yet another and said, Your sons, your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Job suffered the loss of all things, but the last thing that he suffered to this point is the loss of his children, which teach us that his children was, were more important to him than any material possession could ever be. I hope that our children are more important than our material possessions. I'm reminded of an incident that Pastor Weller had conveyed to me when he was pastor at the Blandon Bible Fellowship Church. Pastor Weller volunteered on an ambulance crew. One day he was called to a tragic accident in which a woman was trapped in a demolished vehicle. When they arrived on the scene, the woman was unconscious and the firemen were trying to free her from the wreckage using the jaws of life. The woman's husband arrived on the scene just a bit later, and he began walking around the wreckage of this demolished car with his wife inside, mumbling as he walked, my car, my car, my car. That was not Job. Job's car was not more important to him than his children. But even more important, more precious to Job than even his children were his and their relationship to the Lord. Tells us in verse 20, then Job arose, tore his robes, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. Job was not impervious to his loss. His suffering was great, 
He mourned and grieved over the loss of his children, for it tells in verse 20 that he tore his robes, which was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of stress. He shaved his head, which was a depiction of humiliation, and perhaps a vow. He was hurt. He was suffering. But he submitted himself to the will of God, verse 20, for it tells us that he fell on the ground, which is an act of submission, and he worshiped God. The word to worship here means to bow down before God. And in that worship of God, he ascribed all the goodness that he had experienced in his life came from God. Notice verse 21, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. And then these words the Lord gave. The Lord gave. Job did not view his wealth as resulting solely from his own hard work and effort. Job realized that when these things were taken from him, he was not being denied what was rightfully his or entitled to, for he had not earned them. These were the gifts of God. But even more, he recognized the sovereignty of God, not only in what he possessed, but also in what he lost. Notice in verse 21, it says, the Lord gave, and then it says, the Lord has taken away. Here is the true and right understanding of the sovereignty of God. Theologians refer to it as the first cause or the ultimate cause. That God ultimately is behind everything. Job knew the difference between that which is instrumental, that is what God uses, and what God does. He did not attribute his loss to the instrument. He looked beyond the circumstances of life that so many people look to. For it tells us in verse 14 that there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck them down. But Job does not attribute the loss of his cattle to the Sabaeans. He knew that ultimately it was God. Nothing that comes into our life is out from under the control and sovereignty of God. He did not even attribute the loss of his children to the activity of Satan, though Satan is clearly involved. Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch your hand. But he didn't attribute what happened to Satan, even though Satan is involved. Job attributed all that had happened as coming from God, and rightly so. The Lord is taken away. A godly father understands God's sovereignty in the events and circumstances of life. Able to look beyond the earthly answers and understand that there's a God in heaven who's watching over, who's providing, who's guiding, who's directing. And furthermore, Job saw God was worthy of praise in what happened to Job and his family. For it says at the end of, and he said in verse 21, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. And now these words, blessed be the name of the Lord. He spoke well of God. And it tells us in verse 22, and all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. He in no way rebelled against God. He no way blasphemed God. He no way wavered in his commitment and love for God. Why? Because Job was truly godly. That's the point. For the interaction between Satan and God was that the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth, 
a blameless, upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. That godly character is evidenced in his response of worship to God. For remember, Satan had said, if these things are taken away from him, he would curse God to his face, verse 11. But stretch out your hand, touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. He will say blasphemous things. He will rebel against you. But not only did Job not curse God, he blessed God. He praised God. He worshiped God. Because Job understood both the sovereignty of God and the character of God. You see, it's a poor solace that people find in blaming others or even Satan for the hardships and tragedies of life. Unfortunately, there are those that have such a, a view, dim view of God that they believe that either things are out of his control or that God would never do certain things. And so they find comfort and solace in saying, well, it's the Sabaeans, it's the Chaldeans, or it's that Satan. But Job honored God by attributing to God the loss of his children, but he also attributed to God goodness in that act and not sinfulness. He didn't question the character of God as he ascribed to him the sovereignty of God. For a godly father worships God, not his children. That's no small statement. After all, that was what this test of Job was all about. Would Job remain faithful to God when Job's children were taken from him? Not all Christians put God before their children. In reality, many parents allow their children to dictate what their worship of God is going to be like. Sometimes we are faced in situations which we have to choose between pleasing our children and pleasing the Lord. What choice do we make? For many Christians, the reality is they're more committed to pleasing their children than they are committed to pleasing God. Eli was a priest, but he was more concerned with pleasing his children than he was with pleasing God. In fact, Eli had corrupted the sacrificial system in order to give his children what he wanted. He did not follow the law concerning the sacrifices and how they were to be conducted for he gave what was best to his children rather than what was best to God. And God confronted Eli through the person of Samuel when he said this. Samuel had received a vision to share with, with Eli. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of the people of Israel. Why do you honor your sons above me? A godly father honors God before honoring his children. Now, that is to our children's well-being. That is to their betterment. That is a good thing. Or a godly father worships God in the midst of difficult situations. Was Job totally unique? Or can we be like him? When it says that there was no one like him, it's speaking of degree, not of kind. He was more blameless. He was more upright. But we can be blameless. We can be upright. We can be godly. And there are many godly people who worship God in the midst of the difficulties. Job was not alone in losing his children. There are many godly people who have experienced miscarriages, 
and loss of children in their infancy and some in their older age, in which they have continued to honor and love and serve God. Just this week, I was reading Philip Henry's Everson's biography of Matthew Henry. And in that biography of Matthew Henry, I, I gleaned the following. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan writer and author of the Bible commentary by his name, suffered the loss of numerous children. Tragedy struck the Henry home when their one-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, died after developing whooping cough and a fever. Matthew Henry kept a diary, and he recorded his thoughts. And those thoughts are quite revealing. Just three days before his daughter Elizabeth died, Matthew Henry penned these words. The child has had an ill night. She is very weak, and in all appearance worse. Well, I am much comforted for her baptism. I desire to leave her in the arms of him who gave her to me. The will of the Lord be done. I have said if the Lord will spare her, I will endeavor to bring her up for him. I am now sitting by her, thinking of the mischievous nature of original sin, by which death arraigns over poor infants. On the day that she died, July 19, 1692, he wrote these touching words that far from driving him away from God, encouraged him to trust that she was in safe keeping. He writes, and I quote, in the morning I had the child in my arms, endeavoring solemnly to give her up to God, to bring my heart to his will. And presently there seemed some reviving. But while I was writing this, I was suddenly called out of my closet, that is his private place of prayer. I went for the doctor and brought him with me. But as soon as we came in, came in the sweet babe quietly departed between the mother's arms and mine's without any struggle. Her nature was spent by its long illness. And now my house is a house of mourning. The child died on the anniversary of the very date in which Matthew Henry's first wife had died five years earlier. On the very day that his first wife died is the day that his daughter Elizabeth, one-year-old, died. And he writes this in his diary. I had set my affection much upon her, referring to his daughter Elizabeth, I'm afraid too much. Let me read that again. I have set my affection much upon her. I'm afraid too much. God is wise and righteous and faithful. Even this also is not only consistent with, but flowing from covenantal love. Lord, wean me from this world by it. Blessed be God for his covenant of grace with me and mine. It is well ordered in all things and sure. Oh, that I could learn now to comfort others with the same comforts with which I trust I am comforted of God. My dear wife is much distressed. The Lord sustain her. I would endeavor to comfort her. We are now preparing for a, descent, a decent internment of my poor babe. Many friends come to see us. I'm much refreshed with 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 26, a verse that I preached on just a few weeks ago. Martin Henry along with so many, experienced and even said the same things that Job said. Dads, grandpas, great-grandpas, 
Will we dedicate ourselves anew this morning to being a godly influence in the lives of our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren? It begins by dedicating ourselves to be the godly Christians that we ought to be. That begins, first of all, with accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You're here this morning and you never have placed your faith and trust in Christ. It will make all the difference in your home. And it's necessary not only for your own well-being, but for the spiritual well-being of your children. You cannot be a godly father without knowing Christ as your Savior. But it continues with our heart's desire to love and serve the Lord with our heart and soul and mind. It continues in believing, trusting in a loving, gracious, holy, and sovereign God. Being assured of his providential care for us. Being rooted and grounded in the faith. So that we know the character and goodness of God. It then extends to great concern for our children's spiritual condition. Do they know the Lord as their personal Savior? Have you had that conversation with your children? Are you assured of their faith? Do they really love the Lord? Now, we cannot instill grace in them. We can't save our children. Nor can we will that they love and serve him, but we can pray for them. We can be an example to them. We can exhort and encourage them, and we can repeatedly tell them that it is the greatest and most important decision that they will ever make in their lives. They can at least know of our concern. And being a godly father is fully realized in worshiping the Lord, of giving God first place in our lives and our homes, submitting ourselves and our children to the will of God, whatever that may involve. Whatever that may involve. God, what you are going to do and in through our children is in your hands and we accept and welcome whatever you have. For there in our lives. Always thanking God for his goodness and grace to us and to our families. Job's worship of God began with a recognition the Lord gives. The Lord gives. Think about all that God has given you. Think of the blessings that you know and you experience. Think of the good times. Think of the forgiveness of sins. Think of God's intervention in your life and theirs. Praise God for his faithfulness. Oh, the importance of knowing the goodness and grace and love of God. What a comfort it must have been for Job on the death of his children to have no regrets, to know that he was praying for them, to know that he was concerned for them, knowing that they were ready to meet the Lord. To view ourselves before God, not as entitled, not as deserving, but as blessed. Our God has been good to us. No matter the hardships, that we have encountered. Our God has and is good to us. He is a holy, just, righteous, sovereign God. And we are in his hands. And our children 
are in his hands. And that is a source of rejoicing and joy. Let us pray. Almighty God, help us. Help us to be godly fathers. Help us to have the correct view of your, your character, your goodness, your holiness. And yes, Lord, your sovereignty. Help us not to diminish or weaken your rule over all things. May we not find a impure and weak solace in thinking somehow we preserve your goodness by attributing the hardships and difficulties to others. But Lord, may we understand that you, the righteous and holy and good God, our control has control over all things. And you have a purpose, you have a will that is right and good and just and holy. And in our dark hours, when we cannot see it or know it, by faith may we express our confidence in it, that you, O God, are worthy of praise. Help us to bow our knee before you at all times and in all situations finding the strength of the many who have gone before us, and even our brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ who are sitting here this morning and have gone through difficult situations with their children, some who even lost children, and yet faithfully worship and honor and glorify you. Lord, help us honor your name in the rearing of our children. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.